Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 24, take one. All right, this is Rackhouse Ramblings, episode number 24. That's the fourth episode in the second season. We're going to try something a little bit different. We're going to change it up tonight, uh, do a couple of things different. So let me do my little guitar riff and we'll get started. So let's get going here. Episode number 24. Uh, where to begin? Where to begin? So let's see. Uh, over the weekend, I was up north. I was enjoying the beautiful weather. Uh, it was an absolutely fantastic weekend. I liked it. Um, sat in my tree stand, went on a few hikes, um, even spent a few hours fly fishing, man. I love it. it is, this is my time of year. I really, really, really enjoy it. Uh, didn't see any deer, couldn't land a brown trout, but I had fun trying both. The leaves uh, up north are in full color. Holy smokes, what a sight. Yellow and red and orange. And I guess you'd call it like the fall, uh, the full fall spectrum, right? Those typical fall colors. I, I, I can't tell you how much I like it. So a funny thing happened while I was leaving the parking lot. I was over at the Asabo Overlook fishing uh, in Alcona County by my cabin and all that. And as I'm driving out, this lady in a minivan waves me down. <laughs> she, she goes, hey. I, so I stop, kind of back up. And she asks me, she goes, where should I go for some bear viewing or, or some elk viewing? <laughs> and I, I, I didn't think anything. I said, well, there's nothing around here for bear. And, you know, for elk, you're going to have to go north another half hour, you know, to Atlanta or Hillman. And I explained to her, I said, this, this scenic overlook here is usually for birders, for people bird watching. Um, you can usually see a bald eagle from here. So the, that's one of the reasons they come out here. And um, she said, uh, you know, the other thing I told her, I said, hey, you know, you can go for some deer viewing over at Sprinkler Lake, which is down the road a ways. And, of course, she goes, well, I can see deer at home. And she wasn't going to have any of that. <laughs> and I guess she thought I was a park ranger, right, because of my truck, of course. I didn't think of it at first. But after the fact, I remember it. And my wife, Ann, she says, I'm asking for those kind of people to stop me because I have this big public landowner sticker on my truck, right? And I look like a park ranger. <laughs> I thought I would share that with you guys. I thought it was it was funny. So, um, oh, you know what? Hey, a little reminder here. Let me uh, pause for one second. Okay, I had to pause because I had to uh, open up my Meyer uh, Perks app. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but probably a few weeks back, a few episodes back, uh, I talked about bourbon coupons. And if you go into your Perks. Uh, there's bourbon coupons good till the end of the month, till the 31st. And I'm going to read through a couple of them uh, here for you. Evan Williams, $2 off. Bullet, $3 off. Elijah Craig, $3 off coupon. Larceny, $2 off. Jim Beam, $3 off. Um, Jefferson Reserve, I'll tell you, uh, $3 off. I listened to a good interview the other day with the, the guys from Jefferson, and um, they actually don't distill. They buy their bourbon from uh, uh, other distillers. But anyway, $3 off. Check it out. Uh, 1792 bourbon, $3 off. Yellowstone, $3 off. And Rebel Yellow, $3 off. So check it out. And um, speaking of Meyer, 
and bourbon. Uh, today, Ann and I were at Meyer doing our grocery shopping. And as usual, I got down to the bourbon aisle. I like to walk up and down, check everything out, see what they got. And I guess while I was, I, I, maybe I looked inquisitive or judgmental, right? Because the gal stocking the uh, liquor area asked, she goes, are you looking for something? And I'm looking for anything. And I said, not really, but you know, your shelves are a little bare. There's a lot of empty spots here. And she explained to me, she goes, oh, well, we keep the good stuff, like the Blantons and the Bookers in the back. And I went, I kind of shook my head. And on their shelves, you see where it says Blanton's 59 and Booker's 99. But there's none out there. There's never any out there. So I'm thinking they never have it. And she goes, oh, we keep it in the back. That way the party store owners can't buy it. As a matter of fact, I've got a bottle of Booker's in the back right now. And I, so guess what? <laughs> I got a bottle of, of this year's uh, Booker's bourbon. And that'll be uh, up on an uh, upcoming podcast. So if you know anything about Booker's, they come out with a, a different small batch every year. So I got the 2020 uh, small batch bookers coming down the pipe. So anyway, now that I know, I can track her down and ask her. She goes, you know, we do have Blanton's. I just don't have it right now. So that'll be another one, you know. An another crazy score at Myers today. This one's kind of cool. Um, we were at uh, Myers and I saw some Oreo cookies. Holy shit. So we're going to do a segment on Oreo cookies. Not just regular Oreo cookies, but these are different flavor uh Oreo cookies. So I'm getting I'm getting off track here, right? <laughs> Let's see what we're going to talk about. I got a little itinerary, uh, a little some of my show notes here. So for episode 24, we're going to talk about a uh, Netflix documentary that I watched called Social Dilemma. Uh, what a mind fuck that was. Then I'm going to talk about Oreos. We're going to get into a, a little bit of Oreo history and some Oreo cookies. Then I'm going to rearrange some things here and do it a little bit different, like I, I started out. And um, we're going to do the bourbon spotlight up front. So I'm going to grab the bottle of bourbon. We're going to do a sip. Uh, we'll sip our way right on through this week's um, episode, number 24. So stay right there. I'm going to set my show notes down and grab my guitar, do my little transition. And we're going to get into some bourbon. all impromptu all made up let's see what we can do so in this week's bourbon's bourbon spotlight i'm going to talk about baker's kentucky straight bourbon whiskey a single barrel it's 107 proof um baker's i guess you consider this a high-end bourbon um age seven years it says on the bottle they advertise that they are a true bourbon lovers bourbon so i found this on my last trip to kentucky um baker is short for baker bean you know like Jim Beam, the bean fan, like the most famous name in bourbon, right? Beans. This is named after one of the beans. So like everything else, I start my research on www.bakersbourbon.com. Check it out. It's pretty cool. It has some cool little pics on it. And while I got that here, I'm going to pull up their website. I was having trouble. Usually what I like to do is uh, cut and paste some things and put them into my... Uh, Cut and paste and put them into uh, my show notes. 
And this one I was having trouble with. So let's see what we can do here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read right from their um, website. This would help. Acres Bourbon. Bear with me. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, so Baker's Bourbon. Stand by. Here it is. www.bakersbourbon.com. So we have to enter uh, our birth date. We're going to enter the site. And one of the cool things about this one, uh, they have some history here. Uh, right from right on the front page, says seven years minimum, age seven years. Uh, for those who want to taste the difference between floor five, rack 17, and floor seven, rack 21. And what they're saying is this is a single barrel. Uh, they call it singular experience. Um, their docu their uh, page here says no two barrels of bourbon are the same. The pla uh, their placement in the warehouse, every change in the weather, and every day of aging shapes their distinctive notes and flavors. So while most bourbons are made by batching multiple barrels together to create a consistent flavor, Baker's takes a different approach. No, no batching, no mixing, just one barrel per bottle. The result is a true bourbon lover's bourbon, made for those who enjoy the unique and subtle differences between one barrel and the next. Because at the end of the day, that's what a single barrel bourbon is all about. And that's, if you guys remember, I'm a single barrel uh, Kind of, I don't want to say snob or anything, but I really lean to these single barrels. I like the unique flavors. I like that they're all smooth, none of that acidy burn on the finish or anything like that. So uh, on their webpage, they also uh, they explain the bourbon. Now they explain the man, right? The man, <laughs> the man being Baker Bean. Uh, so I go to under that heading. It says Baker Bean retired in 1993, but his appreciation for the finer points of bourbon runs as deep as ever. When he first started at the distillery, he worked the night shift. He showed up on a hog, occasionally with company. <laughs> I'm guessing a motorcycle, right? He wore a black leather jacket, wide brim hat, and his close friends called him Bake. In his youth, some say he was as smooth as the bourbon he crafted, and as a fifth-generation beam, that bourbon ran in his blood. The Claremont Distillery was his baby, and he knew the property like the back of his hand. When he retired, his cousin Booker No, as in... Booker's bourbon, like the one I just got, right? So his cousin Booker No created Booker's bourbon, or scratch that, Booker No created Baker's bourbon in his honor, inspired by his passion for bourbon and his maverick nature. So they have a nice black and white picture of him on the, uh, there and standing in front of the truck. Then they got a picture of the two uh, Beam guys in a little rowboat, says Jim Beam. Baker has always believed that the ideal bourbon is made according to three fundamental rules. First, it's aged at least seven years to extract the notes of vanilla trapped within a charred oak. Second, a great bourbon carries substantial flavor. And third, when he tries it, he better like it. That's a pretty simple rule, right? If I try it, I better like it. These rules might be simple, but they make for one hell of a bourbon. And today, inspired by the living legend, that is Baker Bean, we craft every bottle of this exquisite 107 proof single barrel bourbon with these things in mind. So there you go. Sorry about that. That was my computer making some noise there. So there you have it from the, their webpage, www.bakersbourbon.com. Um, I would check it out. That's, it's it's uh, pretty cool to look at.
Okay, so enough about the web page. Let's get into some product, right? That's what, we, that's what we're here for. So I got the bottle in my hand. It's a pretty fancy bottle. The cool thing, uh, right on the neck of the bottle, it says single barrel. It will tell you the date it was barreled. This was uh, barreled in March of 2013, and it says the age is seven years and three months right on the bottle. Um, I kind of like that. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, also says uh, 107 proof, age seven years. Uh, here's a little quote. Spent a good deal of my life up at the Claremont, Kentucky Distillery for a time. I even lived in a house right there in the grounds. This land has been home to Jim Beam Spirits for nearly 100 years now. We, we make our special small batch bourbons here, carrying on the legacy of fine handmade whiskey, handmade bourbon, I should say, that's been a part of this family for seven generations. I'm proud to have my name on a piece of the legacy, a single barrel bourbon good enough to drink it neat. So there you have it. Let's open this damn bottle. So I'm going to try this and see how it goes that we do the bourbon spotlight at the front end of the show. Let me know what you guys think. There we go. Fancy bottle. Fancy cork. And I'm going to try one of my fancy nosing glasses here. It's got a little rim on it, but not necessarily a... Uh, glass we will see and another thing they included here is called the tasting notes so I'm going to read the tasting notes uh, it says the nose is fruit vanilla and caramel the palate is medium bodied with flavors of oak toasted nuts and vanilla and the finish robust medium long and warmly rounded Ooh, let's see if it's warmly warmly rounded Oh, that's different. That is different. That's very good. Very, very good. Um, the the finish, when it says warmly rounded, to me, I think when I uh, swallow it down, to me, it feels like a soft, I would, soft would be a good word to describe it for me. But um, the taste on the front end, when you kind of do a swish around your mouth, around your tongue, nothing on the front of the tongue, but it's all in the back of the tongue. I definitely can taste a like a vanilla and caramel for sure. This is really, really good. I would uh, I would tell you guys, if you see a bottle of this Baker's bourbon, to give it a try. Hmm. So I'll have another sip right there. Pretty good. That is extremely, extremely smooth. Hmm. So I would put that right up with, uh, wow, boy, oh boy. That, that's like Angel's Envy good, Evan Williams good, um, Bullet, any of those? Wow. Yeah, that's good. Let's try one more sip. Hmm. <laughs> good deal. Bourbon Spotlight this week. So uh, let me do another little guitar transition, and we will get into the next segment. Next segment. Bear with me and all my uh, audio noise here, but this is kind. Of, I guess it's kind of like live. I guess you could say live. Let's see what we can do. And each one of these is impromptu, no cutting, no editing, nothing like that. We're going to move this cable. Check. One, two.
That was uh, a little made up for it. Okay, so the next segment, uh, next thing I want to talk about is Oreo cookies. So um, today Ann and I were shopping at Meyer, and they had a special on Oreo cookies and blah, 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 whatever, right? So I see all the Oreo cookies, and I'm thinking, oh, an Oreo cookie. Well, no, this is different. This was Oreo cookie is the black cookie with the white creamy stuff, right? So I did not get any of those today. I got these crazy different kind of Oreo cookies like I've never seen before. So I bought one. Uh, it's called Caramel Coconut. <laughs> then I bought another one called Chocolate Peanut Butter Pie. And then I bought this crazy, the last one is called Carrot Cake. No shit. <laughs> Carrot cake. So before the show here, I busted into the carrot cake ones. They are so fucking good. <laughs> but don't look at the ingredients. There's nothing good in the... There's probably nothing... There isn't anything real in the ingredients, as a matter of fact. But um, we're going to do a little deep dive on Oreo. And we're going to try some cookies while we're at it. So like I was saying, I had the carrot cake. They're really, really, really good. Um, I'm going to grab a bag here, so bear with me. I got two of them. Sorry for the racket there. So we're going to try uh, this first one is called Caramel Coconut. Let's see what we have. And of course, these go really good with bourbon, I'm sure. Hmm. Wow. Caramel Coconut is definitely Caramel Coconut. So it's still the chocolate cookie part, but inside is mine's with caramel with a hint of coconut. Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. Sorry about that. I'm chewing on these Oreos right now. So I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive. I went to the Oreo.com website and they didn't have anything on history there. Excuse me. And so what I did is I went to Wikipedia. And this is what I found. Under Wikipedia, there was a part called 20th Century, which is current, whatever, history. And I'll read it for you. The Oreo biscuit was first developed and produced by the National Biscuit Company. Now it's known as Nabisco. Get it? National Biscuit Company, Nabisco. So it was developed, produced by Nabisco in 1912 at the Chelsea, New York City factory in current day Chelsea Market Complex, located on 9th Avenue between 15th and 16th Street. Today, this same block is known as Oreo Way. The name Oreo was trademarked March 14, 1912. It was launched as an imitation of the Hydrox cookie manufactured by the Sunshine Company, which was introduced in 1908. Huh, I never knew that. The original design on the face of the Oreo featured a wreath around the edge of the cookie and the name Oreo in the center. In the United States, they're sold for 25 cents a pound in novelty metal canisters with glass tops. The first Oreo was sold, sold March 6, 1912 to a grocer in Hoboken, New Jersey. The Oreo biscuit was renamed to Oreo Sandwich in 1921. In 1948, the name was changed to Oreo Cream Sandwich, and in 74, it became the Oreo Chocolate Sandwich Cookie the name that remains to this day. A new design for the face of cookie was launched in 1924. The modern day Oreo design was developed in 1952 by William Turner, incorporating the Nabisco logo. In 1920, a second lemon cream filled variety was introduced as an alternative to the white cream filled. 
but that was discontinued in 1924 and the original flavor was the only version available for the next several decades. While the modern cookie, Oreo cookie, was developed by Nabisco's principal food scientist, Sam Porcello, who retired in 1993, held five patents directly related to his work on the Oreo. He also created a range of Oreo cookies that were covered in dark chocolate and white chocolate. Oh boy. In the early 1990s, health concerns prompted Nabisco to replace lard with partially hydrogenated vegetable oil. And this to me sounds really ironic because that hydrogenated, hydrogenated vegetable oil is like liquid death. At least real lard, your body knows how to digest. So that's just my personal opinion. Anyway, Oreo cookies are popular with people that have certain dietary restrictions, such as vegans, <laughs> as cream filling does not use any animal products. However, there's still a risk for cross-contamination from other dairy products in the same production areas. So there you have it. Oreo cookies are vegan. Yeah, because it's all chemicals, right? So anyway, let's try this other one. Chocolate peanut butter pie. Oh boy. Put Oreo cookies and blurring. Oh, that's lots of peanut butter. Kind of like a nutter butter, but with chocolate and all. Mm -hmm. Pretty damn good. Wow, so there you have it. Oreo comes from Nabisco. 1912, I started, that's over 100 years. Went from being Oreo biscuit to Oreo sandwich, Oreo cream sandwich to Oreo chocolate sandwich cookie. So there you have it. Deep dive on Oreo. Three flavors that I got today. Peanut butter, chocolate peanut butter pie, caramel coconut, and carrot cake. And the carrot cake is so freaking good. I think that might, might, might be my favorite out of the three. So there's that segment. And before I forget, I wanted to go back to something about bourbon. I get a couple of magazines, a couple of bourbon magazines that I really, really enjoy thumbing through them. And they talk about uh, all different bourbon topics. And I'm a big fan of pictures. I love pictures and recipes and things like that. But one of the things that caught my eye was... Uh, yeah, in the article it says when bourbon went to war, it talked about the distilleries in World War II and how it's kind of, it's similar today during COVID that a lot of the distilleries, um, 830 in the United States, are making hand sanitizer. And you think of the war effort, right? Well, this is the war on Corona and this is how they're adjusting to it. But during the um, World War II, they did uh, industrial alcohol. I'm going to read you a little section here. It says, by the spring of 1942, the Japanese had captured 90% of the world's natural rubber supply. So synthetic rubber had to be made uh, for tires, waterproof gear, and other goods. The main ingredient of synthetic rubber is butadine, butadine which is made using high-grade ethanol. The government built a synthetic rubber factory near the Louisville Distillers, located near the Ohio River. The factory could also ship rubber and alcohol by barge to other factories helping free up rail transport for moving troops. This was the origin of Louisville's rubber town, which still has more than a dozen factories, including DuPont Louisville, Dow Chemical, and Michelin North America. So to make that synthetic rubber, they needed the high-grade high grade ethanol, otherwise known as corn, whiskey, or bourbon. Industrial ethanol was also needed to make spokeless gunpowder, 
the propellant for all types of munitions, shells, torpedoes, cartridges, bullets, and even hand grenades. Ether and ethanol were ingredients for nitrocellulose used in explosives, <clears throat> and ethanol was used for making antifreeze, crucial for military de vehicles deployed in Northern Europe and Soviet Union. Also needed to make plastics, lacquer to keep machine parts from rusting, and insecticides to help protect troops fighting in the South Pacific. And it was used in rayon for parachutes, since Japanese silk was obviously no longer available. Hmm, very interesting. And then this next part caught my attention too. It says spent, uh, spent mash from fermentation was, uh, was dried, used in livestock feed, and distilleries yet had another important area of technical expertise, culturing fungi. The techniques for growing yeast for fermentation are virtually the same for growing molds. And there was one vital mold for medical application, penicillin. There you have it. I thought that was interesting. It's from Bourbon Plus magazine. It's one that I get a couple times a year. Thought I would share that with you guys. So there you have it. We're going to move on to the next part of the show is my documentary segment. So uh, Ann and I, the other night, uh, actually last night, we watched a documentary on Netflix. And it really, really got me thinking and I wanted to share this with you guys. The, the documentary on Netflix is called The Social Dilemma. Um, it was very eye-opening, left me kind of uh, just pondering, uh, really, really thinking about this documentary in the last 24 hours. Uh, it uncovers the real reasons why we are constantly, uh, we check our Facebook, we scroll through our Instagram, we check our emails, we look on Pinterest. Um, it's about, the documentary is about social media companies, these big tech companies, and they want us to be using their apps. They encourage us to use their apps. The more we use them, the more they know about us and our behaviors. And by doing this, they're even able to modify our behaviors by looking at Facebook, by looking at apps, by looking at Pinterest and all these different things. No shit. They, change, they have the ability to change our behaviors. So let's pause for a minute. Think about this. Facebook's free, Instagram's free, Pinterest's free. All these different things are free to us. But we aren't the customers. We're not the consumer. We're the product. They're free because advertisers will pay Facebook, will pay Instagram, will pay Pinterest to get our attention to show us ads. So you, you think you're a customer, but you're not. We're really the product. And one of the, the uh, people speaking and they interviewed uh, a handful of people. Uh, there's somebody from Facebook, from Instagram, from all these different companies. And they say, this is exactly what we're doing. We, they create algorithms that learn about you and in turn feed your uh, Facebook feed or Instagram feed and things like that. So they write an algorithm, they send it out there and this algorithm watches you and it will literally count how many seconds, fractions of a second that you look at a picture or if you pause at a picture or if you stop on a news article, whatever it is, it learns something about you. Uh, if you like it, it's going to send you more of that same thing. So it kind of builds on itself and it wants to keep you coming back. It, it, the more that uh, their goal is for you to spend more time with their app, with their product, with Facebook, with Instagram, with whatever, that's their goal. Uh, their goal is not to show you pictures, not so you can share with your family, not so you can be socially whatever, blah, blah, blah. The goal is to get you to spend time on there. The more time you spend on there, the more things they can uh, advertise to you 
and sell to the advertisers. So that is their goal. There is no other intention. So they write these algorithms that that is their only intention. And it, it was really interesting. So these people are all kind of realizing what they've created. They create these algorithms, they send them out there, and the algorithms kind of, uh, it's like its own life. It's like its own entity that keeps going and going and going. Um, it, it, it was really, uh, boy, how do I say it? You, you guys should watch it. You really should. Um, the way they think of it is you look through one side of your phone and the algorithm looks through the other side of your phone. So there's two sides to the phone your smartphone, I should say, or your computer, or what have you. And the person on the other side has an agenda, just like you have an agenda, but theirs isn't what you think it is. So it's uh, it's very, very... They even went so far as to talk to a, a neurologist, neuroscientist, and she was talking about uh, this is... An, uh, there is a, an addiction to it that when we look at pictures, when we look at things, it's like finding a prize. It's like... Uh, uh, it initiates a dopamine response. So you get enjoyment, you get pleasure. If I keep scrolling, I'm going to find a picture. I'm going to see, oh, and there it is. Oh, and I like that one. And it uh, it turns into an addiction. And she says this is identical to like a slot machine. If I keep pulling the slot, I'm going to get something. I'm going to get a reward. And in, in, in social media, it's a picture, what have you. It, it was very, very uh, interesting, got my attention. And the dopamine thing, the addiction thing, on and on. And another thing that came up is that it, these algorithms will amplify, uh, uh, how, did, how did he put it? They amplify hate speech, they amplify disinformation, they amplify false news. So when they think, say things go viral, these algorithms rhythms are behind it. So whether the information is true or not, the algorithm doesn't care. It just knows that, hey, oh, I'm interested in it. Let me give you another one and give you a reward. And it just builds and builds and builds. And the algorithms have nothing to do with reality. They have nothing to do with fact. Um, they just have to do with uh, getting a response out of you, getting you to stay on social media, getting you to keep looking. And it really, really opened my eyes. So when you hear of things like clickbait, that is exactly what these algorithms are for. Oh, you get sucked into clickbait. Or you hear about going down the rabbit hole. Oh, I was on YouTube. Man, I went down the rabbit hole for three hours. Well, that is their algorithm uh, getting a hold of you when they recommend a video to you. That is, uh, there's a lot of science behind it. And it is really, really uh, interesting. So they're talking about how to detoxify yourself and get rid of this and how to cut down. And so Ann and I watched it. And at the end, both of us went into our uh, settings menu and you, I think it's under your parental controls, it was called screen um, screen time option. And it will show you how much time that you spend on each app for that day or even for the week. Uh, do yourself a favor, check it out. Go into your settings, go to your screen time and see how much freaking time you're spending just staring at your little screen. And you may think, oh, this is interesting, I'm learning it. But the reality is you and I, we are being baited, we're being fed um, and he even, the, the one uh, person in the interview said, think of it like a company that is drilling for oil, that is mining for uh, precious metals. And what they're doing is we are the ones being mined for our time. The more time we spend on social media, the more money those companies make. Facebook, Instagram, all this. 
they don't they make money by advertisers and the more they can put ads in front of you eventually you're going to buy and they will sell the advertising it was really a, a really really eye-opening experience so that being said uh rackhouse ramblings episode number 24 i'm going to sip some more of this baker's single barrel straight kentucky bourbon i'm going to do an outro with some uh Guitar licks, some guitar riffs here. I hope you guys enjoy this new, uh, I wanted to change it up a little bit, make it uh, a little more challenging for me too. Usually I will do each segment separate. Usually I would do each guitar segment separate and then I will spend, you know, a half hour or so editing it all together. And this time I did it all the way through. Uh, no edits, no cuts, no nothing. It's one straight recording. So I'm gonna do the outro with some guitar in uh, episode 24 is concluding. Thank you guys for listening. Stay right there.